Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, September 23rd, 2022 edition of On Iowa Politics. Happy birthday, sis. This week on the podcast, allegations of unwanted advances by Mike Frank in our unearthed. The White House gets a little passive aggressive with Governor Kim Reynolds over pandemic relief funding. Mike Pompeo's latest Iowa trip and counting Iowa's votes on the Electoral Count Act. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids. With me today are Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Hello, Tom. Hello, Aaron. We have Lead Des Moines Bureau Chief Caleb McCullough. Welcome, Caleb. Good afternoon, Aaron. Also here is Sarah Watson of the Quad City Times. Hello, Sarah. Good afternoon. Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal. Greetings, Jared. Pompeo pandemonium, Aaron. Pompeo pandemonium. (laughs) Catch it. Yes. Catch it if you dare. (laughs) And Gazette columnist Todd Dorman is here. Hello, Todd. Hey. (laughs) First up this week, things got a little messy in Iowa's U.S. Senate campaign after the conservative website Iowa Field Report published a Des Moines police report from April that included allegations by a former campaign staffer who claimed a month earlier Democratic candidate Mike Franken grabbed and kissed her without her consent. Franken acknowledged he met the former staffer in March but denied the allegation that he kissed her. Uh, So we wanted to talk about this today, obviously, uh, but also equally obvious this is a super serious matter. Um, There's a lot going on in this story, which sort of trickled out over three days if you were following along. Um, So what we're going to do here uh, on the podcast is we're going to talk about the potential impact of this story on the campaign uh, because this is a politics podcast. But before we do, I I just want to make clear, want to note here, these are obviously very serious claims. This is obviously a very serious issue that goes well beyond politics um, and that I know I speak, uh, I think I'm fairly comfortable in speaking for all of us here as journalists that we want to take the absolute most care uh, with this kind of story uh, because of the way it impacts the people that are involved one way or the other. Um, but as all that said, um, let's do our specific hit job here on this podcast and talk about what this means uh, in Iowa's U.S. Senate campaign. Uh, so, Tom, I, I want to start with you because you interviewed Mike Franken the day this report and these allegations were published. Uh, he was having an event in the Cedar Rapids area you happened to be covering. Um we know, as I said, that he denied the allegations. I'm just wondering beyond that, you know, when you talked to him, this was very shortly after this report was published. How did Mike Franken seem to handle, I guess, or respond to this report? Um, yeah, so as you mentioned, he flatly denied that the, the incidents uh, occurred, um, you know, acknowledged that uh, he met with the woman for a drink that night um, after her employment with the campaign was terminated. Um, He said he met her um, at her request in that uh, he had a glass of beer, but again, repeatedly denied the allegation in the police report that uh, he grabbed her and kissed her without her consent, stating several times that it didn't happen. Um, And then, um, you know, talked about how, um, you know, he felt that this was, you know, um, kind of a Republican smear um, uh, against him, um, you know, trying to uh, smear him, um, you know, less than two months out um, from a, a critical midterm election, um, uh, you know, a, a key race that um, that Republicans, you know, are, are hoping to um, to, to protect. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, other than that, just repeatedly denied saying over and over it didn't happen, but, you know, didn't, didn't really elaborate, um, you know, didn't, um, didn't really answer many questions except to say that um, he was not interviewed by um, Des Moines police. Um, and then again, saying that, you know, over and over just saying um, that, uh, that it never happened. Yeah. And, and, you know, you know, you know, didn't add much context or clarification and answer many other questions. Um, there's so many questions that, right. that, that, that are out there on this. And, and we all realize that here, I'm sure folks who are following this closely have those same uh, questions. I don't know if we'll ever get to answer those or not, I, I, um, but um, yeah, the, the, this whole thing, um, there are a lot of, of questions that, probably should be answered uh, now that the whole thing has gone public. And that's frankly, one of the, one of the questions um, to that end, uh, I'll just uh, note that um, our team here will have coverage of, of a couple things in the coming days. So by the time we uh, cast our pod again next week, uh, there may be more context or, or information to add to this Uh Mike Franken is scheduled to appear at a, at a Democratic event in Clinton County over the weekend, and and Sarah's paper, the Quad City Times, will be covering that. Um, and then um, uh, tentatively scheduled, uh, uh, our, our Caleb McCullough here is uh, scheduled to sit down with uh, Mike Franken early next week uh, for an interview. So so it'll be interesting to see if he has anything uh, more to say about any of this um, at, at either through either of those venues. Um, Todd, let me ask you again, as, as we're looking at this race, the Iowa poll had an eight point margin on this thing a month or so ago here. Um, and Franken's campaign has, assist, has since published an internal poll, albeit an internal poll with some, let's say, unique or interesting methodologies, but that internal poll showed the race even closer than the Iowa poll. Um, does this story, this report, these allegations being out there, does, does this hurt Mike Franken's chances? I mean, it kind of sounds like a dumb question, but does, does, I don't know, imagine there's a word where it helps, but does this hurt Mike Franken's uh, chances of upsetting Chuck Grassley? Yeah, I'm uh, <clears throat> actually writing about, I wrote about this for Sunday because I enjoy tiptoeing into minefields and <laughs> uh, and I, I have, it allows me to show off my real knack for writing columns that no one likes. So that's, I'm like, excited. I'm excited like to see. Maybe literally no one. Yeah. I'm excited <laughs> to see the reaction. Uh, but as far as the campaign, I, you know, yeah, it, it damages Franken's campaign. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I guess the question is how much in particular, I think it complicates uh, the decision for for women who were, are planning to vote for Mike Franken, uh, but you know that said, you know Chuck Grassley, the incumbent, was a you know a key architect of the of a U.S. Supreme Court that overturned abortion rights. Uh, despite his sort of campaign trail uh, rhetoric about that the abortion issue is a state issue, I don't think there's any doubt that if uh, if a national abortion restriction bill comes to the floor in the in a Republican-controlled Senate next year, that Grassley will be in favor of it. He'll vote yes. Uh, and, and and there are all sorts of you know prospects for what what the what the overturning of Roe v. Wade is going to mean for other rights 
including access to contraceptives. There are questions about what the, the GOP agenda is going to look like in the Senate uh, and what sort of things they'll try to pass that may further restrict rights or, uh, or you know, things that, that maybe uh, voters, Democratic voters in particular and others in, in the middle might not appreciate. And of course, we have the small matter of democracy being threatened by the uh, by the former president Donald Trump, who is who has endorsed uh, Chuck Grassley. So you know it, it it's it, it's damaged his campaign. It slowed his momentum at a moment when he was sort of when he looked to be you know have gained ground and and it looked like the Grassley campaign was sort of becoming worried and running some negative ads and, and doing stuff like that, that would the sort of things that a campaign that seems to be a little bit in trouble would do. Uh, so this applied the brakes to that momentum. I, you know, what it means between now and November 8th is tough to, to tell. I mean, I think Franken already faced sort of an uphill battle. I mean, Grassley's still favored. Uh, so this definitely doesn't help. It hurts. But I mean, I'm not sure that a lot of voters who are already predisposed to vote for Mike Franken for all sorts of reasons will simply abandon him. And, and it's, you know, it's an age thing too. My, my college age daughter who voted for Abby Finkenauer in the, in the primary was, you know, pretty pissed about <laughs> this report and said, see, this is what happens when we keep nominating these old white guys. Uh, but, and I, I was at a writer's workshop this week and, and there were, you know, sort of older Democratic women who were basically saying, you know, that this this didn't matter to them. So, you know, it's it's gonna it's gonna take time to shake out. And and I I I don't know that the story can go anywhere else. I exchanged emails with with Kimberly Strope Bogus yesterday, the the former staffer who's accused Franken of this, and she told me in an email that she has no plans to make any further public comments about this. So. Uh, that you know that that may take some wind out of the out of the story going forward. Yeah. To, and, uh, I, and sorry, go ahead, Jared. I, I was going to say to to add to one of the points you made, Todd. I, I think another like group of people that this is going to really hurt is anyone that's not a you know just died in the wool, fully pot committed um, Democratic right. voter, like people that you know maybe vote for Democrats more than they do Republicans if they see this kind of thing that's a lot harder of a thing to just explain away. Yeah. And, and that's that it's perfect that we jumped in at the same time there, Jared, cause I was going to say essentially uh, the same thing. I mean, that's what we're ultimately wondering about here is what, what was the universe of voters who uh, could be swayed by this, uh, you know, who, um, you know, you got people who are obviously going to vote for, Mike Frank in either way and people who were not going to vote for Mike Frank in either way, where is the uh, group that um, like you described, Jared, maybe in this particular election and Todd, you described some circumstances that might create some of these voters where maybe they would have sat this race out or, or leaned towards voting for Chuck Grassley because they were always done, but maybe this time they were thinking about Mike Franken and, and you could see this kind of thing. Uh, moving the needle with those folks. I, um, um, it, 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 I was going to say, and you have, I, I guess the other question is how many voters will believe, you know, Mike Franken? I mean, right. he's saying this never happened. Right. Right. Uh, you know, we've all, you know, during this entire, you know, sort of the Me Too movement, 
Mm -hmm. uh, the default position has become to believe women and, or to at least find their allegations credible until proven otherwise. And the fact that he's just flatly denied this and as it, you know, the flip side is he's basically saying that she's lying and right. that may not sit well with a lot of voters that, that, I mean, that in and of itself, if he'd come out and said, yeah, I, I used poor judgment. I, you know, I, I, I didn't mean anything by it. I was just being affectionate because I, I like her, you know, those sort of things. I, I just, I can't, I have to wonder whether that may have been a better strategy than just flatly denying it. But it, because, you know, I, I, I just, I personally just sort of find it hard to believe that she would have filed this police report and, and right. just simply made this all up. I, I just wanted to add to what you said up top, uh, Aaron, I really hate that these kinds of allegations at the core of these kinds of stories have to play out in a political arena because you'll have some news outlets that will report this and others that won't entirely because of who the candidate is and what party they're in. And you have the same thing where people will just completely explain away <laughs> yep. what it is that's at the heart of something because, oh, well, you know, hey, they're a different politician of a different party, so it's fine yeah. or it's a complete outrage because of how I vote. Um, yep. that, that doesn't help anything progress, and it doesn't actually help anyone get to a conclusion. Well, I, I, I talked to someone this week and, and asked her what she made of it, and uh, she just said, you know, basically be better. And I think that's a pretty succinct uh, reaction because, I mean, how many times do we have to, I mean, mm. does this stuff have to happen? I mean, yep. it's, you know, just be better. And, and, and you know, it, nobody, I don't like to report on these kind of stories. I, exactly. I mean, my, my initial yep. reaction was just like, oh my God, again. I mean, it's, yep. Yep. it's, it's just. And this yeah. one's so much like we have recent examples here in Iowa of, of, these types of issues, the me too types of issues. And then the two most glaring ones are um, this one's a little different that is in that it's not quite as cut and dry as those ones were. Um, we had Bill Dix, the former Senate Republican leader who was, um, and this wasn't a case of unwanted. It was inappropriate because he was married and, and with another woman um, um, who also happened to be a lobbyist. Um, but that was caught on video, you know, I mean, so that there's no, you know, gray area there. Uh, and then we had uh, Nate Bolton uh, in the gubernatorial race four years ago in the Democratic primary state senator. Um, and in that case, um, it was fairly cut and dry because multiple women came out and, and uh, it wasn't just one, it was multiple and, and they were able to corroborate their, their stories. Um, so as, as painful as that was at the time for all involved, um, uh, it, it was fairly cut and dry as well. This one, I, I fear, um, um, is not going to be like those other ones. Um, and, and in part for the reason you noted Todd that, and totally her right. I'm not, I'm not saying right, right or wrong yeah. here, I, I, you know, it, but Kimberly Strobogus's decision that she's not going to talk publicly about this. Um, again, totally respect that. Totally understand it. It just, you know, it, it, I fear that that's going to keep this whole thing murky, um, uh, for longer than pretty much anyone would like. Um, and, and you said it, uh, uh, Todd and Jared, none of us likes the re reporting on this stuff. Um, uh, there's a reason I'm on this beat and not the mm, cops and courts beat. Right. Um, 
So and this even is... even when there are videos, you know, the the day and age we live in, that's not enough for some people either. So <laughs> that's true. That's know? true in the in the age of the deep fake, right? Yeah, I think it was a member. Of, I think Bill Dix was actually kissing a member of Antifa. I mean, I think that's. <laughs> I think that video was doctored. Everybody knows that it was. You know. <laughs> oh God, help us! <laughs> I was Seriously, just going to chime in really quick and say too that even uh, you know, regardless of how voters see it too, I would also think like staffers and volunteers mm-hmm. and like the that kind of energy and momentum um, that Franken you know was like you said Todd was trying to build might be kind of blunted if you know you know oh we, you know, Democratic Party has really put an emphasis on believing women and, um, you know, the candidate is flatly denying anything happened. And, you know, that can kind of create, I'm sure, some conflicted feelings for people who are trying to do that work of getting out the vote, getting people involved and signs in their yard and and things of that, because these are the people who are most involved and um, people who are, you know, getting asked to volunteer and back this candidate and do the work that would even, you know, get Franken's message out to voters. That's such a great point, Sarah. And, um, to Todd's point earlier, those are often younger people, uh, right? And, and that does, I, I, I know what Todd's speaking to, that there does seem to be something of a generational divide here on, on the response to this. So those people that are on that staff and having to go out and talk about how great this candidate uh, often are those young people who, who in, in a lot of cases, seem to be having a trouble with this. Uh, Todd, you, you were going to say something there? Oh, I just said, he, you know, and he also put, his fellow Democratic candidates in a, in a terrible position. Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw Monday that Liz Matheson, Christine Bohannon, uh, you know, skipped that Social Security event as this news broke. And I mean, Liz Matheson released a statement, which I thought was pretty good. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it just up and down the ticket now. There's just this, you know, sort of cloud, which everybody has to deal with. Yeah. All right. So, like I said, uh, some things coming up that we may um, uh, be talking about this uh, next week as well. So um, uh, let's move on for now and, and talk a little bit about some more old-fashioned, good old politics and, <laughs> and fighting between Republicans and Democrats. Uh, the white, and this was kind of interesting. Uh, the, the White House uh, this past week offered what I read, anyways, as some passive-aggressive praise for Governor Kim Reynolds uh, over her touting myriad state projects that have been made possible by federal pandemic relief funding, which of course was passed by Democrats in Congress and opposed by many Republicans, including uh, Governor Reynolds. Uh, and, and the statement in particular that jumped out uh, to me and, and uh, kind of set off my sarcasm meter was, uh, uh, quote, we are grateful the governor has come around to recognizing the positive impacts of President Biden's American Rescue Plan on Iowa and the country, close quote. Um, that was from a White House spokesman to, to our Caleb McCullough in a statement that was clearly drenched in a, in a wry smile. Um, so, Caleb, uh, it was interesting to me that, A, that the White House decided to pick this fight. I mean, the whole, hey, Republicans are taking credit for Joe Biden's funding thing has been out there, but but this was a little more aggressive, I guess, uh, on, uh, a little more pointed on the White House's part. So I thought that was interesting. And then I was also maybe a little bit surprised that Reynolds' office opted against responding for your story. What, what, tell me about that. Yeah, um, I thought it was an interesting time to bring it up, too. I mean, uh, 
the the White House staffer just kind of reached out to me um, and said, you know, they had this, uh, they wanted to provide this statement, and it was a little bit unprompted, but um, you know, the American Rescue Plan passed over a year ago, and the first time Reynolds announced some big investment from it was with the broadband funding, also um, a little or no, a little less than a year ago, I think, um, and. As you said, Aaron, this has been a, a thing that Democrats have brought up pretty regularly as these um, announcements have been made. Um, but, you know, there's been some decent sized investments this summer. Um, she announced $100 million for school safety in June. And then this month, there's been some money for child care and nonprofits. Um, and then I think so. I think maybe the White House just wanted to say something partially because uh, these were a few big announcements in the last few months. Um, but yeah, I can't be sure. Uh, and then Reynolds and her office, yes, did decline to comment. Um, her office spokesperson told me they're going to stick with what she said on that topic in the past. Um, and I'm not sure why that is. I mean, maybe her team just doesn't want to get into a back and forth every time this issue is brought up. I'm sure there's going to be more um, of these grants or um, funding coming up. And they'd rather just focus on, you know, uh, touting this money and, and what it's being used for. And um so, you know, with on what she said in the past, I think it is worth mentioning um, because Democrats, you know, say, oh, you were against this, but now you're um, celebrating the, these fundings. And she never said that she was going to give the money back, um, but she definitely did oppose it. Um, she said it was too much money and it wasn't targeted to pandemic specific relief. Um, but then also she said, you know, if and when Iowa gets that money, they'll be targeted and how it spends its share. Um, so that's kind of ha what she said in the past and, uh, kind of all that, uh, her office is willing to, um, point to. And, you know, I think it's also not lost on anybody that this is an election year. Um, I'm not Thank necessarily you. saying the white house is, um, the, the, the white house staff is engaging in, in direct electioneering, but, uh, but you're not, not saying it I'm, either. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, not saying it. Um, but there's certainly an air of, you know, over the past few months, Biden has been pretty heavily championing some of his administration's accomplishments and um, with, I'm sure, the hope that, that that'll put Democrats higher on the radar, yeah. you know, let people know Democrats are doing things for them, um, get people to vote for them. So that's kind of, I think, drawing yeah. full and into I'm glad, this as well. I'm, and I'm glad you said that because I was going to say after you were done there, because I, I could hear, um, you know, I heard my question as I asked it to you and I could hear people listening going, well, you know, the reason they did it, idiot, is because there's an election coming up. So I, yeah. yes, I am. I was aware of that when I asked Caleb the, the question. Um, I, I, um, it was just kind of interesting to me, like we had talked about after, and that's, that's an interesting, uh, um, um, response, Caleb, that I hadn't occurred that just maybe the buildup had finally gotten to the point here in Iowa where enough projects were out and maybe we're also close enough to November, uh, early November and ballots being cast, um, uh, that it was, they felt it was the right time to, to be a little aggressive with their messaging on it. Um, and again, lest we fall into the trap of only thinking about the politics on an issue, uh, there are some real world impacts in this story. And uh, for example, Sarah, you were saying uh, that there are plans for some big projects in the Quad Cities as a result of this funding. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Quad Cities business leaders, I'm sure like business leaders all over Iowa are really excited about especially the destination Iowa funds and, um, and like, and the nonprofit funds like the YWCA and the Quad Cities got about a million dollars to buy a new building and ex like triple the amount of space that they had because they were having so many 
clients that they need, that they um, were fielding to connect them with services. Um, and so I just thought it was important to note, you know, what some of these projects are going to at the like local level and um, especially in the quad cities the, I thought it was interesting just the focus on um, regional tourism and placemaking. And um, I saw like the, the uh, in Council Bluffs, they were doing a riverfront, they were awarded several million for a riverfront treetops walkway and uh, adventure course. And in the Quad Cities, they're also hoping to get some Destination Iowa funds. They're submitting a grant here next week, I believe, and they're wanting to completely transform the uh, downtown riverfront with um, with a new pedestrian bridge, um, an ice skating rink and uh, and walk ice skating like path and, and walking paths. And um, really in the Quad Cities, a huge focus by business leaders is attracting and retaining people. And they really see these Destination Iowa funds and these regional attractions as helping create a sense of place in Iowa and keeping workers here as we face a worker shortage. So I just think it'll be really interesting to see how how it all plays out, you know, in the next decade of, okay, is this, you know, a project that will really keep someone here or is, or is this a really expensive, you know, Right. thing that maybe didn't didn't uh keep a lot of people here i know at least our readers have uh talked about well you know i we love this idea it sounds great but also you know we have a lot of potholes on locust street that we'd really like right. to, to have fixed so so it's definitely i think it'll be really interesting to see uh how all of this invest millions of dollars of investments in regional placemaking how that impacts iowa's place you know into the future yeah Yep. It's especially given, you know, that I wasn't the only state getting these projects, you know, everybody else is too getting right. this funding in this project. So it's not like they're going to draw people to Iowa because nobody else is getting them. So yeah, it, it, that's exactly right, Sarah. It's going to be interesting to see uh, what kind of impact these projects have. Um, uh, we turn our attention now to Western Iowa uh, where Mike Pompeo was back home in Iowa after a couple of weeks away. <laughs> Yeah, you see what I did there? Mike Pompeo's <laughs> come to Iowa so often. I made it sound like he lives here. <laughs> okay. No, the truth is Mike Pompeo does not live here. He's just here all the time because he wants to run for president. That, that, that was funny, right? Anyway, uh, <laughs> Pompeo spoke to the Siouxland Chamber of Commerce uh, this week and also to our very own Jared McNett, but not because Jared's a chamber member. I don't think he's a chamber a commerce member. That was because he's a reporter. Uh, so Jared, you got some one-on-one -on -one time with the Republican former secretary of state and possible POTUS candidate. What did he have to say? He, uh, he said he loves it here, Aaron, uh, so much that he's going to, he's going to get a nice two bedroom in the, uh, the morning, in the morning side neighborhood of town. And he's just going to settle down and he's going to focus on writing his memoirs. I honestly um, would not be surprised at this point if that was actually true. Um, <laughs> Really, though, I mean, yeah, he was he was in campaign mode. You know, he said in a press conference uh, at the convention center and then to me later that it's campaign mode for other candidates and that he wants to see, you know, as many Republicans make it across the finish line as possible. And, you know, since he's a longtime party member, I believe that he wants that. But I also believe that when you make appearances in Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina in the span of about a month or so, you're at least thinking a little bit about the White House. Um, 
And, you know, beyond just the possibility of running for president, I also got him to sort of weigh in on some statewide stuff, uh, including some items we've talked about on the podcast. So, you know, I asked about the abortion restrictions that um, Iowa Republicans are pushing for. And, um, you know, Pompeo didn't say specifically whether he thought that uh, kind of six week time frame was appropriate. He just kind of stuck with the more canned answer of I happen to think that every unborn child ought to be brought to life um, and kind of variations on that um, when he was responding to my question. And and then I also asked about uh, eminent domain, actually, and talked about the uh, the, the pipelines. Um, and in that case, he was a little more specific and uh, told me in part, um, eminent domain has been used to make sure we can uh, transport energy where we need to get it so people can have affordable energy. Uh, if it's con- the conclusion for the state of Iowa or local officials that that's the right way to go, then it's the right way to go. But we should always be deeply skeptical when the government comes to take your stuff. So mm. I thought of any of the, the statewide stuff that I kind of drilled down on him uh, with, that was probably one of the more interesting things he said in my one-on-one time with him. Yeah, and that answer to me, Jared, tell tell me if I'm misreading, but that sounds in, you know, clear clear one A. This would be far from the first time this has ever happened, but it sounds like he really tried to hit both sides of that eminent domain uh, debate by saying, "Hey, I like it when we can use it for the right things, but I don't like it when it's being abused." That that's kind of what I heard. Did yeah. I hear that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yep. Okay. <laughs> So in other words, no matter how you feel about it, you can vote for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Jared, real quick, um, how much, because this is obviously the, the, the thing that's hanging over uh, this possible run-up to a Republican primary. Did he uh, in any way, either directly or indirectly, try to draw any contrast or put any space between himself and former President Trump? Uh, not a whole lot. Cause like the issue of like the documents came up and, you know, he kind of gave an answer similar to what he said, uh, earlier this week, I think maybe when he was in, uh, New Hampshire, sort of about how, you know, classified documents need to be handled in a specific way. And if there were any issues, then that's a problem, but he wouldn't kind of drill down into specifics with that. And then, you know, I also did sort of ask him about the possibility of, um, you know, Trump running and, and should President Trump um, run. And basically what he said with that was, um, I think former President Trump will get to make that decision. And then the voters mm-hmm. all across America, they'll get to decide if he is the right person for them to put forward. Then they'll get to make their decision. Yep. All right. Well, obviously, we'll all be tuned to that. But that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. If you enjoyed it, tell your friends and subscribe to us on any number of streaming audio services, including iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon. If you have any topics to suggest or you just want to reach out, send us an email to podcasts at thegazette.com. And now that you've listened to the On Iowa Politics podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter, where every morning in your inbox, you'll receive all the latest politics and government coverage from our team. You can subscribe to that newsletter at our website, thegazette.com. And lastly, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatee Journal, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Torch Builder will play us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on our show, please send us a sound file. For Tom, Caleb, Sarah, Jared, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks for listening. 